Paul's epistle to the churches of Galatia. We have been working our way through this letter, looking at it from this point of view when the gospel is being perverted. And so we have been looking at a lot of different things in relation to, in the first part of this letter, concerning justification. And now, of course, Paul is turning towards application of some things that he had stated previously. Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 7. We're going to read the whole passage down through verse 15, even though once again we're only going to look at one phrase. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I would wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. As we are making our way through the book of Galatians, we have dealt with the corrupt and false teaching of justification by works and have upheld Paul's contention that we are justified by faith alone. We have moved and are continuing to move into Paul's upholding the law in a proper use which is what we will be looking at under this heading, love satisfies the law. Love, or excuse me, the law does not satisfy justification. Only faith does that. But now we are going to see that Paul will put the law in its proper use for the Christian, where love satisfies or fulfills the law. Now, We have been moving away from a conversation about justification by faith and justification by works. And now we are moving towards a proper use of the law where we have first at the beginning or at the, excuse me, the end of chapter uh, four, we have looked at the law being a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ And we are now moving toward the law being a proper measuring stick for works that are derived from faith. The fulfilling of the law reveals our love to God and man. Faith is the root that grows into love and good works. But before Paul dives into these things, there are some preliminary items that need to be addressed. And we have been addressing them 
And the first thing that Paul addresses is the unfaithfulness of the Galatians by reminding them of past glory and then asking them what happened. You ran well. Who has hindered you from obeying the truth? Notice the mark of running well was obeying the truth. So to Paul, running well in justification by faith alone was obedience to the truth. And yet now, the Galatians are so absorbed and distracted by the hypocritical and the hypothetical, I should say, notions of the legalistic doctrine that they are saved by their works, that they are justified by being a good person, whatever that is, uh, that, that they are no longer obeying the truth. Which seems strange, doesn't it? Because isn't the emphasis on what they're trying to assert is that we, we have to have works in order to be justified. But Paul is saying that those who have that view don't do good works because they're disobedient. Which is always the case, by the way. <laughs> Legalists and libertarians never do anything. Now I am going to have to explain what I mean by libertarians here at this point because I'm not talking about the political party. Um, there's some implications, but I'm directly referring to theological libertarianism that produces individual autonomy, that produces ecclesiastical libertarianism, which then produces political libertarianism. Nevertheless, I am not referring to political libertarianism at this point. Another word that we could use instead of libertarianism is libertines. Basically, that member of the French during their revolution, they were the, the ones revolting were the libertines. They didn't believe in any order, any structure, and they were wanting to deconstruct the whole system. They were the libertines. Or we could use the word autonomy. Or we could use the word that Jude uses, which is licentiousness. Doing what you want to do. Doing what you feel is right. Which is always wrong. <laughs> My use of legalism and libertarianism is basically trying to give us a reference point for the two ditches. First, justification by works in the doctrine of legalism. That's one ditch. And then second, faith producing no works in the doctrine of libertarianism. That's the other ditch. This is not all that those words imply, but I am specifically using them according to our context here in this letter to the Galatians. Nevertheless, both legalism and libertarianism produces people who do nothing when it comes to obeying the truth. Now, they may seem separate and distinct, but they all lead to the same place. Neither produces obedience to the word of God. Both of them create a people who are laden with the sins of commission and omission. By sins of commission, I mean the act of committing, doing, performing, or perpetuating as the commission of a crime. 
By sins of omission, I mean the neglect or failure to do something which a person had power to do or which duty required to be done. In other words, acts of commission is the doing of things that are prohibited. The acts of omission is the not doing of things that are prescribed. When commission and omission are incorporated into one's worldview philosophically and or practically, what it produces is transgressions and abdication. Hence, they do not obey the truth. They do nothing spiritually, but they do a lot carnally. They're not going to read their Bibles. But they are going to read whatever. You can fill in the blank. Or they're going to stream whatever. They're not going to pray, but they're going to follow all sorts of superstitions. They're not going to attend church, but they'll attend any kind of event or activity possible in order not to obey the truth. They will not tithe to their local church, but they will waste money on frivolous things. And the list goes on and on and on and on. It's filled with anything and everything, even to the point of not doing anything so that they do not have to obey the truth. You can invite them to do something and they will express how much they would love to do something, but their life is devoted to doing nothing. Isn't that the American dream? (laughs) Isn't that America? Again, the what they do is not the important thing. The thing that is important is the not obeying the truth. The latter is the issue, the not obeying. That's the reason why we can fill it with anything. Some people will fill it with drugs. Some people will fill it with sex. Some people will fill it with sports. Some people will fill it with nothing. They'll sit around watching the show that's about nothing, right? Remember Seinfeld, the show about nothing, right? (laughs) <laughs> it was genius. Um, and so we, we, we create everything about nothing. I mean, even to the point now today where the church is about nothing. What is the gospel? Faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Therefore, what is our life to be devoted to? The gospel, which is faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. But we never put faith in anything in relation to Christ. and We never exercise the faith and we never repent of anything. What was it? Uh, Veggie Tales. They had one episode. The pirates who don't do anything. We are the pirates who don't do anything. Remember that? I wish I could remember the rest of the words. I should have came prepared, but I wasn't planning on auditioning. But it's, it, the, the, the emphasis is the not obeying. And is this not the history of Israel in the Old Testament? I mean, this is how Moses describes them. Okay, this is their leader. <laughs> in Deuteronomy chapter 9, he says... 
remember? You know, exclamation point, always trying to get their attention. Do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been, a re- you have been rebellious against the Lord. And then later on that same chapter in verse 24, he says, You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. And then we come to the end of Moses' days. And, you know, you would think maybe he would say something, you know, you know, because it's it's the end. And so you you think he would say something that would be a, a, a little bit more favorable. But he commands them, he says, take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Thanks for the vote of confidence, Moses. What did the Lord say about Old Testament Israel? Well, through the prophet Isaiah, he says, Woe to the rebellious children who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. And then the Lord tells Isaiah this, Now go, write it before them on a tablet, and note it on a scroll, that it may be for a time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Now, before anyone says, yeah, but that was the Old Testament. You know, we are New Testament Christians. We're not like those filthy sinners in the past. We're virtuous and righteous and holy because we have the Spirit of God and we've been regenerated and blah, 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 blah. Well, the writer of Hebrews has this warning to New Testament saints. And after he talks about the Old Testament saints and their failures in the wilderness under Moses, he says, now, beware, brethren, lest any of you have, unless there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." 
For who, having heard, rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Later on, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 will go on to say, you know, those who transgressed the covenant died by the mouth of two or three witnesses under Moses. How much more of the fiery indignation do you think we'll receive? trampling underfoot the blood of the everlasting covenant. See, in the New Testament, it's not less, it's more. To whom much is given, much is required. So the writer of Hebrews goes on after that stinging admonition by saying, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest any one fall according to the same example of disobedience. So what's he saying? That the very same thing that plagued them in the Old Testament is the very same thing that plagues us in the New Testament, disobedience. So Paul says that the Galatians that their abdication and disobedience to the truth did not come from Christ in verse 8. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Christ did not call you to faith in yourself, a faith that produces disobedience. He did not call you to your own self-righteousness. He called you to his righteousness. You see, Paul is saying this is not the creed of Christ. The faith of Christ is a faith that is in Christ alone that produces obedience. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15? You know, the verses that we like to conveniently forget because we go around saying, I love Jesus. Yes, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, let's do it. We love Jesus. (laughs) It's a little harder then, isn't it? If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus also said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then chapter 15 of John, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. 
Now, Paul will instruct the Galatians in this very truth throughout the rest of the letter. The faith of Christ that is freely and graciously given to us produces love, and love produces obedience. Because if it comes from God, right, then it's his love and fruitfulness. That's the reason why we do not want to give glory to God for faith. We want to claim it as our own. Because if it came from God, it would produce godly love. And if it came from God, it would produce obedience. That's the reason why we want to hold on to it. Make it about our faith. Instead of grace and faith that is a gift from God. You see, faith in yourself, faith in your good works, faith in your merits and your self-righteousness produces hatred. And hatred produces disobedience. If your hope is in your good works, then there is no hope. Only conviction and guilt. And then the necessity to lie like a dog. And isn't that what we have become known for in Christianity today? Lying like dogs? We're about as honest as Slick Willie. Remember those days? I didn't have sex with that woman. That's our confessions and professions today. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. It's about everything that we claim we haven't done. Really. You see, hope in your good works just simply is no hope. All it does is bring conviction and guilt. Because you know you're lying. You know, as Paul said, that there's no good thing in your flesh. And so therefore, as a result, there is no peace because there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Hatred stems from a false faith or a false hope because there is no righteousness there. And as a result, hatred produces defiance. Those who trust in their own works or their own righteousness do not obey the truth of the gospel. They do not obey the word of God. They follow their own standard and define their own righteousness, which is the lie. I don't drink, smoke, or chew. Yeah, 
but you are proud, you lie, you shed innocent blood through the actual practice or abdication of preserving life. You devise wicked plans, you run to evil, you bear false witness through your lies, and you sow discord among the brethren. You commit adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You don't have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, but you don't drink, smoke, or chew. Right? And we think we're supposed to get... Yeah, my hair doesn't touch my ears. My skirt goes all the way to the ankles. You are so righteous. Don't you know the Lord's just applauding in heaven for us? You go, 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 go. You see, I bet anything, there's going to be those who stand before God in the judgment, demanding entry into the kingdom of heaven because they didn't drink, smoke, or chew. None of which, by the way, is found in the Ten Commandments. But I know some other things that are found there. How do you do on those? By the way, as a matter of fact, I can't even find that anywhere. I find don't get drunk. I find Paul telling Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach's sake. I find the psalmist giving praise unto God for wine. But I do find a lot of the other stuff that we just mentioned earlier. But I'll bet anything that there'll be those standing there demanding entry and absolutely throwing an absolute hissy fit in defiance against God because they didn't do this or that. And isn't this how the Lord describes it? To those whom he said that he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. And what are they doing? But we did this, but we did that. And we did this over here and we did that over there. And the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. Just like the Pharisees standing in the temple. I'm this, I'm that, I'm not like that. What's the implications of that? Is that the Lord recognized his righteousness, his merits. And Jesus asked the question in relation to him and the publican who was not even looking up towards heaven, standing afar off, and he was just simply praying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one of these men went home justified? In other words, let's put it this way. Which one of these men went to hell? The man who went home justified was the publican. The man who went to hell was the Pharisee. 
Now, the problem for so many is that we are trying to fulfill righteousness or goodness by trusting in ourselves. And so that's what Paul is really trying to guard against here, is that they are not getting the order all messed up and the source all messed up. The source is Jesus that produces good works in us. The source is not us who do good works. So the problem for many is that they are trying to fulfill righteousness or goodness by trusting in themselves rather than trusting in Christ to justify them and to sanctify them and to understanding that distinction of being justified by faith alone, that we have already sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no way to undo it. We've already done it. The only hope we have is that God will be gracious and merciful. But we also know that who he justifies, he will also sanctify. Or make us fit for presence in his kingdom. And so it is through this trust in Christ to justify us and then to sanctify us through faith that produces love and good works because just as the faith is not ours, it is the gift of God, neither is the love and good works ours. It's what Christ creates in us and produces in us because we are his workmanship. It is the faith of Christ, the love of Christ, and the good works of Christ that is progressively produced in us because we are created in him. You see, trusting in yourself, trusting in your own good works is not the persuasion of him who called you into his grace. So the first thing that we considered in the fraudulent persuasion was disobedience The second thing to consider is that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And it is true that on an individual level, a little sin begets bigger sin, right? Is it true or not? I mean, we can look at it in the the greatest of sins, right? We call things gateways. Why? Because a little sin will produce bigger sins. We grow in our sin. Why? Because we get more confident, we get more bold, we get more defiant. And so we move on to greater sin. This is part of the equation, obviously, on an individual level. But what Paul is saying here. In verse number nine, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he is saying here is that a little sin in the body, in the church, begets greater sin in corrupting the whole body. 
We like to think of ourselves as individuals unattached from everything else, and we falsely think that our sin only hurts us and does not hurt anyone else, which is absolutely not true. Paul is talking about the whole church here. When he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump, he's talking about the whole, all the churches, the whole church of Galatia being corrupted by the sins of different ones within it. But the whole becoming corrupt. If that wasn't the case, then it would just be to each his own. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, don't worry about those Judaizers. You just be you. No, he, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This is why he is addressing them corporately. It is also why he says in verse 12 that he wishes those who were troubling them would be cut off from the body. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We're familiar with leaven, right? It's a, the, the leavening effect that happens to bread or the leavening effect that happens to wine. Now, in the Bible, leaven is used both positively and negatively. You know, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is described as leaven. But also sin is described as leaven, right? And so you have positive and negative examples that are used in relation to leaven, but leaven is like yeast. And so he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The whole lump of dough becomes completely saturated by the yeast as it sits there and does its work. Until finally the whole lump is leavened. And so what he's saying is this. That the whole is affected by the little. Now, we find all kinds of examples of this. How about the sin at Peor? In Numbers 25, you'll have to read it on your own because we don't have time to look at all these things, but I need to bring them to your attention so that hopefully you can look at them a little closer on your own. But with the sin of Bel- uh, uh, the sin at Peor, we find that the... Uh, people of Israel, the men of Israel, were committing um, fornication with the women of Moab. And the women of Moab not only were causing them to commit fornication, but they were using the fornication to draw them away from the one true and the living God to their gods. And so they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel was joined to Bel of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused, the Bible says, against them. And the Lord says this to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. out in the sun, (laughs) that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. 
And so there was this church discipline campaign <laughs> that started. And there was one Israelite man who was so bold that as the people were weeping and repenting at the door of the tabernacle, and as Moses was seeking to cleanse the offenders, this man comes parading through the whole assembly with this pagan woman of Moab to take her into his tent to commit fornication with her. We're not going to deal with the story about Phineas, but a plague broke out because of Israel's defiance against the Lord. It wasn't just the one man that died. 24,000. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Not only does it a little leaven, a little sin corrupt the whole, but also when judgment falls, it falls on the whole. Yes, did this man suffer for his sin? Yes, but so did 24,000 other people. What about the story of Achan? Remember, the Israelites under Joshua were to go in and conquer the battle of Jericho and they were to march around the walls of Jericho until they fell down. But there was a commandment given to them that the Lord told them that they were not to take the accursed or the cursed things of Jericho. Anything that was of any value, they was to be consecrated to the Lord and to be placed into the treasury of the Lord. Well, the walls fall down. Children of Israel come into Jericho and they're taking this city. And there was a man by the name of Achan as they were marching through. It was like, man, Look at all these fine things these people have. These are like all name brand stuff from the, from the mall. And I shop at Goodwill. And so he took things that he wasn't supposed to take. Well, the children of Israel then are moving on and they're coming to Ai, which is a small little city. Jericho was this fortress. Military might. Ai was just this little bitty old dinky city. And so Josh was like, let's just send a few men over there and take it and be done with it and move on. And they go over there and this little bitty city defeats Israel. And the Lord tells Joshua, it's because you have taken of the accursed thing. The Lord didn't say to Joshua, yeah, there's one man. No, all of Israel has done that which they was not supposed to do. All of Israel has taken of the accursed thing. Now, what happened was, is that Achan was found out. And not only did Achan have to suffer for it, you know, even more so than Israel did in their defeat. 
But Achan's whole family suffered for it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. This is what was said later on. So the story takes place in Joshua chapter 7. But later on, as some things are being recounted, in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 20, it says this. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Deuteronomy chapter 28, that's what the whole chapter is about. In verse number one, the Lord says, Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then he goes down through all the blessings. Then he comes to verse 15 and says, But it will come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then it goes on even longer on all the curses that would come upon them. And if you read all those blessings and curses, you will notice they're corporate. They're not individual. They're corporate. But it makes sense, right? How many of you are suffering under inflation right now? It's corporate. How many of you are suffering under anything that might be coming from Washington, D.C., Indianapolis, wherever it is that you reside, or from one subsection of our people in our nation, be it in the church, the state, or a certain family. You see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And when the whole lump is leavened or responsible for it all, then the Lord sends punishment. See, that's one of the things that the Marine Corps taught me real quickly. That I was my brother's keeper. It's like, I didn't do it. My dad tried to teach me that too. Because <laughs> I, I've been in trouble before for things other people have done. Now, there's a lot of things I didn't get in trouble for that I had done because he didn't know about it. But, uh, but I've been, had this reiterated to me throughout the course of my life that I am my brother's keeper. And that my brother is my keeper. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul tells the Corinthians who were, <laughs> had a lot of issues, he tells them as he describes again the story about Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness and their disobedience. And what does what Paul say to the Corinthians about those stories? Now these were... Uh, these things were written for our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, he's saying that it's the very same concept. 
That was in play then, that's in play now. Peter says the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Notice he doesn't say with individuals. But with the whole. You see, the church at Corinth had many areas of disobedience, both in doctrine and practice. And in chapter 11, they were warned about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner that would bring judgment upon them. Do you really believe that it is only in an individualistic judgment that Paul was talking about in relation to them? Or do you suppose that there were many weak, sick, and some who had died? You see, because if they wasn't all responsible and it was just individualistic, it would be easy just to say, well, I mean, look, you know, they just got what they deserved. And so, you know, we just cast them off to the side and we'll be good. But do you suppose that there were many weak, sick, and some who had died because the church was being chastised as a whole? Because of the sins of individuals. For Paul says, for if we would judge ourselves, he's writing to the church in the very first verse of chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. You see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That also means that judgment comes upon us as the lump, as the whole. And we know it is true. Our sin affects others. Our sin brings judgment upon others. When That's why when we Look at all the things going on in this country. And I don't care if it's on the civil realm, the ecclesiastical realm, or families or individuals. I, when I say that it is not the fault of the wicked, it is our fault. It is our responsibility. It's because of us the judgment of God is falling. That's exactly what I mean. When Daniel was in captivity, he was a young lad when he was taken into captivity. Remember, Israel had turned away from the Lord. They had many opportunities, many chances for repentance. And finally, the Lord had enough of it. And so he sent the Babylonians upon Judah to kill him by the sword and take the remnant into Babylon, Daniel was one of those men. Why was Daniel there? Technically speaking, why was he there? Because of the sins of those who had went before him.
But when he was in Babylon, he didn't say, ah, those dirty dogs. Look, I'm suffering all of this because of them turkeys. No, he took responsibility. Even though he wasn't actually the cause, he still took responsibility for the sins, his own sins and the sins of his father. Why? Because just as a little leaven leavens the whole lump, a little leaven that leavens that lump also receives purification for it, cleansing that must be dealt out by God in chastening in order to sanctify us and to cleanse us. The reason why we are under judgment in this nation, the reason why we are under judgment in families, the reason why we are under judgment in churches is because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Father, we have nothing left but to acknowledge because the reality is all around us. To, we have nothing left but to acknowledge that we have became leavened completely, entirely, throughout the core of our beings. Lord, we pray that you would cleanse us. And we are told that if we would confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as we are always one step away from sin and destruction, we are always one step away from grace and restoration. Lord, we pray that you would help us to choose grace and restoration to choose life and not death. Father, we pray that you would make us faithful. Help our hearts to be inclined unto you, and we pray that you would incline yourself unto us. For we are weak and helpless. We are vile and wicked. And we need you. We pray that you would reveal yourself and make yourself strong unto us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.